Welcome to Freedom Fellowship. You can follow us online at cometofreedom.com. My dad loves preaching verse by verse studies of the Word of God giving its full counsel. His studies pay particular attention to the practical application, contemporary examples, and incorporates the Word into our daily lives. Enjoy today's sermon and make sure to subscribe right now so you don't miss any future teachings. You guys know we're almost done with 1 Corinthians? Hasn't it been good? How many of you guys have really enjoyed going through Corinthians? This is a letter to a carnal church, very fleshy. You know, a lot of our study, I keep thinking, oh man, this is the church in the West. <laughs> These are words that we need. But as we go through all of this and we get towards the end of the book, see, they are so excited for this teaching this morning. They don't want to miss a thing. But it is one of those things as we engage God's word. Isn't it so cool how God wraps up this epistle to the Corinthians? Hey, we're going to bring you to chapter 15. Now we're going to consider the gospel. In light of all this stuff and all the complications within the church. You guys know there's no perfect church. We're going to have our problems. We need to be in a place where we address them. We grow through them. We're open to God's exhortation. We want to be doers of God's word. But when we come to the end of the letter, he's like, all right, now this is all that really matters. It's about the gospel according to the scriptures. The resurrection, we have a risen Lord, guys. He is very much alive. Did you guys have that mindset coming today, this morning? Hey, I'm going to church. And the God I'm going to worship is actually alive. Do we live in that reality? We should. And we need to press into him. He is there. He is with us. So, this morning I entitled the message, Death to Death, and you'll understand as we go through this last passage, as we wrap up 1 Corinthians 15. And Do you guys know that there are better things ahead of what we leave behind? Do you live in that reality? I sure do. <laughs> I sure do. We're blessed. I mean, in a lot of ways, there are blessings in life. There are hard things in life also. But there's a lot of good things in life. But as believers, we have such a hope, and God has spoken so clearly of what's set before us. The things of this life, we know they don't even come close and compare. Even the good things, like we enjoy things and the blessings of life. Do you guys know, I think a right response for us as believers is for those good things to stir us up that, hey, there's even going to be better than this, okay? Um, so oftentimes when it comes to this life, the hardest thing we deal with is death. And I don't think that ought to be so for the Christian because we're all preparing to die, okay? But we still have a hard time with it. And that's why I love this passage of Scripture because you think about how the world thinks concerning death. It's radically different than how we think about it as Christians, Correct? If we consider the Greeks, okay, they were very hopeless, okay, when it came to death. Inscriptions, if you go and check out some of the tombs of ancient Greece or, or Rome, um, it indicated that death was the greatest enemy. They actually used those words, okay? It's, we don't want to die. And we live in a culture like that today. Doesn't everybody want to live forever? 
okay? It's just like we're trying to stay young. We're trying to look young. Man, I'm embracing my gray. Let it happen. That just means I'm getting closer to home, right? Um, So the greatest enemy is death, and they really saw that anything beyond the grave, there's no hope. There is no hope at all. But in Christ, guys, you know we have life and hope, okay? Life and hope. In chapter 15, Paul has gone through great lengths of proving the resurrection to these believers there in Corinthia. <clears throat> and he also provides the first uh, resurrection of Jesus from the dead, okay? Explains that in detail. So the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb was only the beginning of a great harvest. And aren't you guys <laughs> thankful for that? I mean, look around. There's a great harvest here. We're in Kakana, Wisconsin. How many thousands of miles removed from where this was written, how many hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there is still a great harvest today. And I think it's great because you guys are great people. I'm glad you're part of the great harvest. But do you guys know that there's still a harvest that is plentiful? And isn't our Jesus worthy of his sacrifice and his sufferings? Did he die that just a few would be saved? No, he so loved the world. He desires none should perish. That's the heart of God. And we have the good news. What this world is looking for, the hope that they're looking for, is in their creator himself. But we want to ignore our creator. So this morning, guys, we're going to look at two questions as we get um, to verse 35 through 44 here. Because we still have a lot of questions. As Christians, we know, hey, there is a resurrection. But then the questions come about what happens after death. What happens to our bodies? What will the body say of an infant or a baby look like? Okay, My wife and I, well, she had a miscarriage in between Uriah and Finn. Okay, He or she is peanut, Churchill. I've often wondered, like, what is he or she going to look like someday? I know I'm going to meet her or him someday. But are we going to be the same age in our glorified bodies? Is it going to be a little peanut? Don't we have those type of questions when it comes to death? What about bodies that have died through a violent death? What will that look like? What will those who were cremated or had ashes spread into the ocean, how do their bodies come back. Dust or ashes, guys, he's going to do it. Whatever our body is, he's promised a resurrection of the body. So this morning, guys, we're going to take a look at two questions. And if you look at verse 35 with me, we see a how and a why. It says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? That's the how. And then the what says, and with what body do they come? And that's still a question that is being asked today. So, the how. Look at verse 36 with me. It says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. So you can't plant unless you have a seed, and the seed has to die first. So every time a seed sprouts, nature testifies to the fact that life can come from death. Isn't that cool? God's creation teaches us that. That makes sense. 
what Paul is laying down for us here in Corinthians about our resurrected bodies, guess what? Nature testifies to this. Also, we see in verse 37, there's going to be four illustrations through verse 41 of the what, okay? So our resurrection is definite. So let's look at a seed, verse 37. And what you sow, you do not sow that the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. So the seed represents the life, okay, that it's going to grow. In other words, if you plant a corn seed, what are you going to get? Corn. Hopefully it's a sweet corn seed because sweet corn is phenomenal. So our heavenly bodies, guys, will be a continuation of our earthly body. You guys understand that? We're not going to be anything to, oh, they're an angel now. (laughs) What? Where does that come from? But how many people have heard that before? We lose a loved one. They're an angel now? No, angels are angels. Humans are humans. Corn is corn. It's that evolution teaching, I think. All right. What I love about Christianity, and I spoke to it last time we were in Corinthians, the resurrection is unique to Christianity. But we also understand why it is, because the resurrection is not reconstruction. You guys know a lot of the world believes that, hey, in this life you're going to die, but you get to come back. They have an idea that there's more life to be had. Where does that come from? Well, the Bible tells us that God has written eternity in our hearts. So we all know that we go on, okay? I've had conversations with atheists who don't believe in God, and they believe there's an afterlife. Well, where does that come from? If you don't believe in God, if you believe this is it, it's because deep down, if they're being real with themselves, they believe that there's something more. But, oh, there can't be a God, though, okay? (laughs) We know that. You guys know that a lot of the world believes in this thing called reincarnation, okay? You give this life, and we're human in this life, but we got to be really good to our cows. Even though they taste good, we can't eat them because we have to respect their life because, you know what? We might come back in our next life as a cow. They miss the resurrection. They miss the understanding that our bodies are not reconstructed. They're resurrected, guys. So, It doesn't resemble, okay, God doesn't resemble the original body that was turned to dust. The body is planted and blooms forth a beautiful flower. Here's my epitaph for my gravestone one day. So if I die, you guys got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaching that we had here at Freedom Fellowship and listen to this teaching so you guys can hear and then put this on my gravestone. It says this, plant me in the earth, but tis only for a spell, for soon the bloom forth is the new land in Churchill. I look forward to that, guys. So our resurrection is also distinct. And catch what Paul says here in verse 39, because it's going to address the flesh. All flesh is not the same flesh. 
But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Okay, I think this was kind of cool because this goes in the opposite order of creation. Don't have time to talk about that. But in creation, guys, God marked each species with a unique distinction. We too will continue to be able to be identified. We're going to know each other. We're going to be able to see that just as the disciples, um, they were able to recognize Jesus. Okay, It's just like, hey, he's in his new resurrected body. It's different. It's better. And do you guys know that in heaven, we're going to have perfected bodies? Do you know that? It's going to be pretty cool. You guys hear me say all the time, I'm going to have hair again. I say that because I think that'll be cool. Anyways, we're going to be but there's one body that's not going to be. Do you guys know whose body is not going to be perfect in heaven? Jesus's. Do you guys know that we're going to look at him and he's going to be the only body that has any scars because he will still have the scars for all time from his crucifixion? And I think that's kind of cool because we're going to live forever and ever and ever and every time we look at God, <laughs> we're like, whoa. It's been two billion years and I see those scars, I remember what you did, how much you loved me. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? So we too, guys, will be able to be identified, okay? Uh, We will be able to recognize and identify our loved ones. And also in our resurrection, it's in degree. Look at verse 40 and 41, and we're going to consider the solar system together. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and there, there's another of the moon. You guys know the moon is just a reflection of that glory. And then another of the stars and the star differs from another glory. So as no two stars shine with the same brightness, guys, so each of us will have a glory of our own. I think that's kind of cool that he points that out. We're going to still be individual. We're not just going to be a number in heaven. Isn't that cool? We're going to have an individual. How many billions and billions of people have lived? And we all have a different fingerprint. We're all unique. We are all special, all made in the image of God. So cool to think about. And then... The fourth thing is our resurrection is different. And I want, I want you to notice four contrasts that Paul lays out for you and I. Pick it up in verse 42 with me. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonored. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So corruption, incorruption, perishable, imperishable, Dishonor, glory, weakness, power, natural body, spiritual body. Do you guys see that there's a difference, there's a contrast between that? And that gets me excited because this body doesn't always serve me that well. This body is weak, okay? This body is obviously falling apart. But because of Jesus, the second Adam, there is hope to be had. We're going to take a look at verse 45 
through 49, and we're going to consider the first Adam. Who was the first Adam in the Bible? Adam, right? What does his name mean? Man. And what did that man do? He sinned. He fell. The world is cursed as a result of the first man. But praise God, there's a second man. And who's the second man? Jesus. So let's take a look at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as was the man of dust. And also are those who are made of dust, and is the heavenly man. So also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So we know that Adam gave us natural life to the entire human race, all of us. And Jesus gave spiritual life to all those who believe upon him. What must a man do to be saved? They must be born again of the Spirit. And only Jesus can do that. Um, so we bear Adam's image. We're all destined to die. Okay, I know that's true. Okay, You look every single 100% of the time, people die. I don't know about anybody that's over 150. There's only two guys that didn't die. You guys know who they are? Elijah and Enoch, right? There's two witnesses that are going to be here during the tribulation, spitting fire out of their mouths and consuming. A lot of people say it's Moses and Elijah. We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say. But I do know the Bible says that every man is appointed to die once. And if Elijah and Enoch haven't died yet, I wouldn't be surprised if those are the two witnesses. But anyways, the whole world's going to hate these guys because they're preaching Jesus. Right? They just want to be done with it. Anyways, that's a whole nother story. Back to this. We've all been made in the image of Adam. We're all going to die. Bearing Jesus' image, we're destined to what? Live forever and ever and ever. I think that's pretty cool. Check out Romans chapter 5, verse 17 with me. For if by one man's offense, okay, that would be the first Adam, right? Death reigned through the one much more <laughs> those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, not death, life through Christ, the one, Jesus Christ. So have you changed your image from the natural to the spiritual? That's the only thing that matters. Have you put your faith in Christ personally? That's all that matters. See, does your life today reflect more of Adam's image or Christ's image because we are being sanctified God is at work in us he's the author and the finisher of our faith you guys know that I know and I believe that I'm more Christ-like than I was just six months ago I could even say six weeks ago the spirit of God is always working I look at myself, I get pretty negative. I look at all my Adam stuff. <laughs> like, look at how I failed and sinned again. I'm prone to do that. But if I step back and I just look at God's faithfulness, 
his Holy Spirit at work. He still convicts me of sin. He's still pointing me to Jesus. Follow him. You're a child of God now. Walk in the newness of life. Don't walk in the oldness anymore. You've been set free from sin. You don't have to do it anymore. Sinners have to sin. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you're set free. Can we still sin? Yeah, but that's just stupid. We've been set free. Why would we do that if we're set free? We can walk in the newness of life. And how do we do that, guys? Staying in the word, walking with Jesus, right? Being yielded to him, believing, as we saw last week in Exodus, obeying. Isn't that what God wants? Oh, but your commands are so hard. No, they're not. He tells us things to protect us because he loves us. What commandment is a buzzkill? If you walk with the Lord, you're just like, yeah, I see good fruit from that. Your ways are right. Your ways are better. Of course I want that. He wants to protect us, guys. But because of our Adam nature, sinful nature, well, I know you said this, God. You told us to obey. And you say if we do this, we'll die. But it looks good, doesn't it? (laughs) I want to try it. I need a bite. And we take a bite and guess what? It might be fun for a season, but ultimately doesn't it bring ruin? Doesn't it bring death? That's what sin does. It leads to death. But aren't you guys glad that Christ came to put to death death? And that's so cool. You guys see that's what Paul's getting at. There's an end to it. We get to die for self. You guys are going to be praying about that too. I'm still trying to figure out what to do for Good Friday. I'm that close to using the passage out of Luke, pick up your cross and follow me. What does it look like to have a spiritual life, to be in the image of that second Adam? Sacrificial living. And that's the last thing the world says, right? Because it's all about you. It's definitely not about God. And it's not about others. It's all about you. God says to die to that. This is how you're going to follow me. Pastor, I don't like that part of the Bible. That doesn't make me feel good. God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Is God telling the truth or is he lying? Let me ask you guys. How many of you guys personally have experienced that it's more, more of a blessing to be a giver than a taker? How many of you guys can testify to that? It's true. That's most of us in this room. It works out better. Because we can keep taking and taking, and what does that produce? Mess. Hopelessness. You're not going to find satisfaction. But if you're loving Jesus... You're going to find that fulfillment. You're going to find that hope, and there's just going to be an overflow. Hey, we read Romans 5.17. That was a good one, guys. Do you guys know why I ask these questions? This is a good Bible study. Like 1 Corinthians 15 is really good stuff, isn't it? But what do we do with it? That's why we have to ask these questions. Am I more like Adam 
or are more like Christ. We're not saved by what we do and how we look. We're saved because of Jesus. But if we put our faith in him, guys, like we were talking last week about the tabernacle, some of us are just content hanging out in the outer court. I know there's more holiness to be had. Even the holy of holies has been granted, opened up to us. We can enter into that. But some of us are just okay. Content just hanging out here instead of stepping in to what Christ has, that abundant life. And that's a faith thing. That's an obedience thing. That's just being who you are in Christ. You think God rent that veil in half just for a few to come in? Come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need. We get to boldly come to him. Follow me, he asks. Well, how closely, Lord? I don't know about you guys, but I want to be right next to him. Don't you? Some of us are okay. I, I see you up there, Jesus. I got a good enough view. All right, let's talk about death to death. I love this last passage here, starting in verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So not fit to enter. Did you guys catch that in verse 50? Now this I say, brethren, the flesh and blood can, it cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Okay, so it's our present mortal nature. That's our flesh and blood. It cannot inherit. Okay, kind of like the caterpillars, right? They can't fly until they're what? Transformed. So we will never see heaven unless our bodies are changed. And he talks about that change here in verse 51. We're changed. Look, behold, I tell you a mystery. How many of you guys like a good mystery? Boom. And this is one of the questions so many people have. And here God is telling us. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Sleep. What a great phrase when a believer dies. Right? The Bible never talks of a believer in the scriptures as being dead. They're sleeping. Why? Because we don't really die. Right? We're just promoted. The second we die <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord we have an upgrade 
It's going to be beautiful and wonderful. No more pain, no more sorrow, right? We sleep in Jesus. You guys can also look at chapter 15 here, verse 18, as, you know, sleep in Christ, right? Um, John 11, 11, you can jot that down. You guys remember uh, Jesus had some friends there in Bethany, Lazarus, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were his sisters. And he says here, our friend Lazarus sleeps. What happened to Lazarus? He died. But Jesus says what? Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciple says, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll, he'll get well. Isn't that what we tell people? Oh, you're not feeling well? Just make sure you're getting enough sleep. Your body needs that rest, right? You'll be fine. You'll get well. This is what they were thinking in their natural mind. He's just sleeping, right? And Jesus says he's sleeping, but he actually died. And it goes on to say, however, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking of or about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay? So we as Christians, we sleep. That's what it's talking about in verse 51 here. Okay? So just like a child that falls asleep at home, okay, um, and you put them in their little seat, and you're like, oh, good, they're sleeping. Get in the car. Oh, we're here. And they wake up at church like, whoa, how did I get here? This is awesome. That's what it's going to be like for you and I, guys. Man, we sleep, and when we wake up, like, wow, Jesus, heaven, how did this happen? You know, it's going to be so cool. And I'm going to have hair. <laughs> Changed or altered, okay? Changed. How does that happen? Well, there's a generation that won't die, we're told in verse 52. Let's check that out. It says here, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So in a moment, guys. Okay, indivisible because of smallness and the twinkling of an eye. He's saying, quickly, this is just going to happen. Surely I am coming quickly, he tells us in his word. Wow, it's been 2,000 years, Jesus. <laughs> you said you were coming quickly. What's 2,000 years to the Lord, guys? Nothing, right? Okay. Um, but it, what it's talking about is the swiftness, okay, the speed in which it happens, not the length of time. That's the point he's making here. So there's a difference. When it happens, it's going to happen quickly. So we, when it says we here, Paul believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Do you guys think that's a good thing for a believer? To believe that Jesus could come back right now? Hmm. If I knew he was coming back tonight at 9, how I might live this day a little differently. Would you guys do the same? Absolutely. So I think this is a healthy thing for believers throughout time. Also, um, Paul, you know, was he wrong? Okay, did he make a stake here with error saying, hey, the Lord's, you know, going to come and he thought it was going to happen in his lifetime and it didn't? No. No, not at all. Um, I believe what he was doing was holding fast to the teachings of Jesus himself. And I want to recall with you guys, when Jesus um, taught very plainly, he said, but of the day and the hour, no one knows, he said. 
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, even himself, but only the Father. He says, take heed, watch and pray. That's what we're to be doing. This is, these are the words of God. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man who's going to a far country, who left his house and he gave authority to his servants and each his work. And he commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So I think Paul was just doing what Jesus said to do. And I think that's what the church has been doing throughout the ages. And that's what we need to be doing today. So much of the church is not being taught to look for the coming of the Lord. They're being taught, have your best life now. But wait a minute. I thought life with him, eternal life, I thought that was the life to get. I thought we were supposed to set our mind on eternal things, not on things of the earth. But pastor, you're telling me that it's all about now? All the blessings now? All the good stuff now? The big house, if I just believe enough now? The really cool car right now, if I believe enough? That's another gospel. It's not according to the scriptures, which we saw in the first part of chapter 15 here. So the absence of the information then coming around this really serves as this stimulus of expectation. He really could come today. It's exciting. Jesus could rapture the church today. I'm pretty stoked about that. Is it going to happen? Yeah. Why? Because God spoke it. It's prophetic. His second coming. I mean, we look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament. There's over 300 specific prophecies. A lot of people who don't believe in God, there can't be a God. How can you know the Bible's real? Just share prophecy with them. Only God can tell the future. And the prophecies he gives aren't like these supposed other prophecies that we have from Notre Dame and others. You guys ever read any of those? They are so vague. They could speak to so many. It's like, really? Probably people believe it because they don't read the Bible. If they read Bible prophecy, God's naming people by name hundreds of years before they're born, specific places, things are going to go down to the day. He's speaking about things that weren't even created yet happening. Wow, that's pretty specific, Notre Dame. So <laughs> you look at that and you're just like, how can you deny there's a God? And when it comes to his first coming, there were 310 specific prophecies given. And people say, well, we don't know about the second coming. Is it really going to happen? Can we really discern the last days? Yeah, the Bible speaks about today more than any other time in history, guys. If you're a student of the Bible, that's very clear. It's measurable. I had a great walk with Sonny yesterday, and we talked about this. Well, didn't other generations think these same things? Okay, Paul believed in the imminent return of Christ. But I get excited about end-time prophecy because there's eight times the amount of prophecies concerning Jesus' second coming than his first coming. It's all over the scriptures, guys. That gets exciting. 
And the things that he told us to watch for and look for are measurable. It's not like, oh, it could be. No, these are the things that are going to happen. You can actually see them happening. And like, wow, exciting times. You guys know Israel became a nation in one day according to the scriptures? And that happened in 1948, not even 100 years ago. And God said that generation is going to see the coming of the Lord. That's pretty darn exciting stuff, guys. I don't know about you, but I look like, hey, Jesus could come back. Do I know the day or the hour? No, you guys don't know either. But I do believe it is good. It was good for the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago to believe in the imminent return of Christ, and it is good for us today. So we got to keep looking to the Lord, believe in his word, because he came the first time just like he said, and he's going to come the second time just like he said. So if any of you guys here are non-believers and we all disappear someday, guess what? Bible's true. Pick it up, start reading, start worshiping Jesus, live for him. Amen? Cool, cool, cool. Um, anyways, where were we? You guys get so sidetracked. So no generation should consider it improbable that it's their generation. There's a generation that does not die. They will not go into the shadow of the valley of death. They will not taste the darkness of death, but they shall be what? Changed. Wow. Isn't that so cool? So no dates are given, but there will be an exact moment in which uh, this purpose of God takes place. And it could happen before the day is through. That's fun to think about. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And then we're told in verse 53, check this out, we're clothed with incorruption, for the corruptible must put on incorruption, the mortal put on immortality. Not only will, but you guys catch that? Must. This must take place. A redeemed spirit without a body will be awaiting the day of the resurrection. You can jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. For we are in this tent. Okay, these bodies, what are we doing right now? We're groaning, okay? We groan. It hurts. There's pains. Why won't it go away? Being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but we, are, we want to be further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that a cool scripture? So when we're going through it, when our health is failing, it may be physically, it may be mentally, it may be emotionally. Guess what, guys? There's a hope. And there's nothing wrong with groaning. And you guys ever cry out to the Lord? Yeah, I had a few nights this week. Didn't sleep well. You know what I was doing? Groaning a little bit, you know, crying out to God. Come, Jesus. And he will. Um, so death cannot touch the soul or the spirit of the Christian. It only touches our bodies. That is it. But only for a bit. That's the cool part. Are you guys catching what Paul's saying here? I want you guys to be well taught. I want you to understand this. Because a lot of people have questions. How? What? And we have the answers to them. We get to share with people. So let's take a look at verse 45 or 44 or 54, sorry. 54 and 55, the death of death. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be uh, brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? So here is a, 
assurance that comforts us as believers. Okay, this is our Christian comfort. Okay, some of us think, well, that's Culver's custard. That's pretty good, but this, guys, should bring us a lot of comfort, right? Why? Because we're told here death is declawed. It's swallowed up to drink it down, okay, down the hatch. You see, in verse 55, this, is, this, this here is where Paul dares to laugh at death. He's laughing at the grave. He confronts an enemy which has held its grip on humanity throughout all the ages, except for those two guys that we talked about, Enoch, who went and he walked with God and was not, okay? And then Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot, which your kids are learning about Elijah right now. Now, uh, we're told in Revelation 21.4, the Lord will wipe away tears from their eyes. And also in Revelation 7.17. Guys know that's going to happen? How many guys think you're going to cry when you see Jesus? Yeah, I think I am too, <laughs> okay? I don't cry over a lot of things. One thing I guarantee cry over a lot is when somebody shares their testimony, how they came to Jesus. That always gets me. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's good, right? Um, I think I'm going to be a hot mess when I see Jesus face to face. And you know what's going to happen when I do? The one body that's scarred in heaven Scars, his scarred hand is going to touch my face. And the Lord himself is going to wipe away those tears. I cannot wait for that moment. And I'm never going to cry again after that. It's going to be awesome. No more death, but life forevermore. No more sorrow, but joy. No more crying, but laughter. No more pain, but pleasure. Death's stinger is removed. The sting, okay, represents that venomous creature, a scorpion, okay, or a hornet rendered harmless. So death for the believer is kind of like a declawed cat, a defanged rattlesnake or a scorpion without its stinger. It's like a bee which is already stung and now it is left harmless to ever sting again. Why? Because there's victory. Look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus fulfill the law? Yeah. Did he overcome sin? Yeah, we're forgiven. So sin is canceled and the strength of law can't condemn anymore because we're not under the law anymore because it has been fulfilled in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. So death is no longer our enemy, okay, uh, to the Christian, but an instrument of freedom from the reign of sin of our body. People trip out about dying. That's freedom, guys. We're going to be set free. We're going to be in glory. It's going to be beautiful. Do you talk about that with your spouse? Do you talk about that with your children? It's an okay thing. I've had conversations with all my kids about the reality of dying. Worst thing that can happen to a person is probably losing a child. My kids love Jesus, and I told them if something would happen and you would die, it's okay, because I know I get to see you again forever. I will see you maybe not for a little bit, but I have eternity to see you, and vice versa. If we go, and a lot of you guys have lost parents, if they're in Christ, you know you're going to see them again. And that's why the world needs to hear this hope. 
because they're hopeless. They don't know Jesus. They don't know that there is life, that there is pleasure to be have, joy everlasting. We get to share that. Is it really after 11? You guys! I thought I had a ton of time yet. Oh, boy. All right. One verse. It's the best verse. (laughs) I love it. Oh, man. So think about it this way. Death is like a friend. Okay? As we prepare as Christians to die, we need to look at it biblically. It is a good thing. It's not to be feared. There's freedom to be found. Okay? It's kind of like, I got, I've gotten to do a few weddings. You guys know when you're at a wedding, you're like waiting for that bride to come in, but they have the doors closed, like all, you know, anticipation, like, oh, she's going to come. There's the dude. He looks so stoked. He can't wait for his bride to come. And phew, the doors swing open, and she comes in. That's what it's like, guys. When we die, phew, no more door in the way. We get to enter in. We get to be with him. So what do we do in the meanwhile? Great. We're all looking forward to death. Is that what we do with the rest of our lives? Oh, the Lord's coming back. We're getting raptured. Let's get a bunch of credit cards and ring them up and live the high life. (laughs) Christians have done that. Unbiblical Christians have done that. Or they sit and all they do is talk about the coming of the Lord and all the signs of the last days and they're not doing what the Bible tells us to do in light of it. I don't shy away about speaking about the rapture of the last days. When the Bible speaks about it, we speak about it. It's there. We live in it. But whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or a year from now or a decade from now, how we live for Christ biblically should not change. We are on mission every day, guys. We need to live in the light of this reality and this truth. And the Bible tells us here, meanwhile, we persevere. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. This is a scripture that I've owned for decades. It's something God spoke to me as a young man. Hey, son, this is what you do. Okay. I'm going to serve you, even though it's hard sometimes. I know that I'm a beloved. I'm loved by God. Isn't the love of Christ that compels us? That we are to be steadfast. We don't move. Things are going to be thrown our way in life. Things are going to be hard. Should that shake our faith? No. We don't get moved. We have a firm foundation. Our rock is Jesus Christ. And he tells us, even in the last days, as things get crazy out there, Don't be moved by it. The world's going to hate you Christians more and more. You don't move. You fear me, son. You don't fear anyone else. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. What does that mean today? What does that mean tomorrow? Always. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I think that's the hardest part of this verse for me personally. I'm a man. How many of you guys out there, my brothers, how do you guys like building something and then you see it completed? You're like, whoa, I did that. That's awesome. But isn't a lot of our labor for the Lord, isn't it about people? It's relationships. And those take time. Those don't always work out 
well. People who were once on fire that you were discipling, you were pouring into and ministering the word to, they no longer walk with Jesus. And God says, your labor is not in vain. But it doesn't seem like anything's happening, Lord. Can I just go build a house? <laughs> I can see that finished product. But this is what God is calling us to. This is what ministry looks like, guys. It is loving the Lord and loving other people. Fulfilling that great commission. Go and make disciples. Anyways, I got four more pages of notes. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. God, and the truth is that you're the truth. And because you're the truth, we live. And it's because you died. And it's because you died, death has been put to death. And this is a hope that we get to share with a world that is gripped by the fear of it. There is forgiveness. And we are so thankful for that grace. God, you've been so kind and so compassionate and so loving. We are so thankful. God, I pray that you would grip our hearts in such a way, God, that our eyes would be fixed upon you. Lord, that we wouldn't be tripping, watching the stuff of this life, but we're watching for you. And in doing so, God, may we lead many to you. May we boldly share. May we walk and live with you, knowing that we are loved. And in that love, God, that we wouldn't be moved, that we'd want to stay in that sweet spot, just being with you, being loved by you, God, and sharing that with other people. God, it's so simple, but yet it's so hard with this sin nature we still have. Lord, we invite death because we know that will be done away with one day. But until then, God, we're going to keep persevering. We're going to keep looking to you, trusting. And help us as a church family, God. We want to encourage one another. We want to build each other up, to be praying for one another, to love and serve each other well. God, teach us how to do that. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit too and how that looks because we know that you know best. So Father, we just want to be in step with you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for letting me. Thanks for listening in today to Freedom Fellowship. We hope you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. If so, would you please take a minute, like us, subscribe, and leave a review. This is a free way we can reach others with his word. You can watch video teachings of sermons on our website, cometofreedom.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.